0: I'm Lindsay. And this is our review of Howard the Duck, starring Leah Thompson, Jeffrey Jones, Tim Robbins, Ed Gale, Jordan Prentice, Tim Rose, Steve Sleep, Peter Baird, Mary Wells, Lisa Sturzan, and Chip Zine, directed by Willard Hook, released in 1986 on a $37 million budget. Somehow, this made $38 million at the box office. So, this came up in an after recording discussion from our Mark's Madness show on duck soup. I think, Lindsay, you were the one that just threw out randomly. Eh, we should do Howard the Duck. What gives?
2: Um, This is only actually the second time I've seen it. But I remember the first time I saw it, I was an adult um, and it was so weird. It I the guy I was dating at the time. Loved it. He grew up watching it, which is mind blowing to me that children watched this movie. But <laughs> <laughs> He was like, no, you've never seen it. This is crazy. We got to watch it. So we watched it. And I was like, this is the most insane movie I've ever seen. And I'm changed person because of it. Uh, and I hadn't seen it since, and I was like, that was a weird movie. It feels, it feels on, it feels on brand for us. So let's, I think we should do
0: it. So the newest person on the show already knows the brand, everybody. So just so you know, I think it's funny that you compared this to a movie that changed your life, like the way people talk about Passion of the Christ, but we'll get there. So. so, uh Um, I can go ahead and say now I'll out myself. I was one of the children that saw this in theaters with my whole freaking family in 1986. My parents had no idea what was going in. I didn't even like I don't even remember asking to go see it. It was just one of those. We saw that big duck poster cutout thing sitting in the movie theater lobby and was like oh that looks like it's fun george lucas isn't that star wars sure and we just walked right into that and i know i taped it off of like a free showtime weekend or one of those sometime and i had it on a vhs cassette with like two other movies that i liked but it was the thing that was in the middle so i always felt like i had to kind of get around howard the duck uh, somewhere along the way but i won't lie and say that there wasn't part of me as a 10 year old that wasn't completely and totally enthralled with the leah thompson parts of this movie the rest of it i don't know that i really looked into but i'm one of the children that did see it growing up now ron what about you i
1: remember seeing it growing up as well um not when it was first out of course but it was definitely one of those well i've already seen all of the episodes of gi joe that i can find in this video store so let's grab this thing because there's a giant duck on it.
0: Ah, video cassettes of G.I. Joe, the real American hero. (laughs) So, did anybody know this was a comic book thing, though? Because I had no idea until many years later somebody told me that and I was like, really? Like, yeah, he's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm like, in what twisted way?
2: If I knew that, I forgot until you both reminded me, I think, two days ago. So, I had no idea until Two days ago,
1: I didn't know he was at the time, obviously, but um, I- in my middle school and later years, I had learned uh, of Howard the Duck and his place in the comic book world. Although I didn't like go out and get Howard the Duck comics, I don't know anybody except for friends of mine who work in the comic book industry who actively seek out Howard the Duck comics. So
0: yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen one or nor would I have been like in, uh, enticed to read it at all. Um, I, I, again, I, I just have such scant memories of this before we watched it for this review. And I did look up a little quick note, seven Razzie nominations and including Worst Picture. And of course, it won, uh, which, uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about an award winning picture tonight, guys. This is a this is a step up for us for what we generally do.
2: Well, they're the best at something.
0: Yeah, the Razzies are like the Oscars of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. And Halle Berry can attest to that so, as as a Razzie award winner, and Sandra Bullock as well. I think they're they're the two that won them. I think they won a Razzie and an Oscar in the same year, or so which is a, a feat. Like you gotta, your agent's working hard if you're getting that done. Uh, but man, 1986, I gosh, I don't. I, again, I was 10 years old, so I was still a kid. But I was starting to kind of get out of kids stuff. This definitely felt like it was for... That age range, and then when I watched it again as a twelve and thirteen, maybe fourteen year old again on that VHS tape, I, that was probably the last time I bothered watching it before now. So it's it's been a good, uh, y- honestly, y'all, thirty years since I watched this movie. Like I know there are other movie podcasts I listen to that I know have covered it, and I just didn't go back and revisit that. I think I listened to the shows, but I didn't I didn't bother to go and rewatch it because I thought I don't I don't know want to see it again. I remembered. I'll just tell you the things I remembered about it. I remember Howard, and I thought for some reason he was in an Indiana Jones costume. I know now that's just a gag. I remember him like chomping on a cigar, which I don't know if that ever really happens or not. And I remember him making out with Leah Thompson, and then Jeffrey Jones turned into Beetlejuice somewhere in it. And that's kind of all I remember.
1: He does smoke several cigars, so you, you've at least got that part right. Mm-hmm. But but it sounds like you like. Lindsay and myself needed a refresher on the plot of this movie. So, since you've refreshed yourself, Jay, why don't you give
0: us the old plot summary? Okay, I'm going to get just to the straight line as best I can here, gang. Yeah. So, Yeah. So Howard T. Duck lives on Duck World, a mirror to our planet, but populated by humanoid duck creatures complete with duck breasts, among other things. His life is totally disrupted, though, when a laser spectroscope experiment in Cleveland malfunctions and transports him to Earth. There he meets Beverly, a struggling rock sinker who agrees to help him. Beverly introduces Howard to her friend Phil, a lab assistant who is working for Dr. Jenning, the man who headed the laser spectroscope experiment. When Jenning tries to send Howard back, he accidentally transfers a Dark Overlord of the universe into his body. The Dark Overlord has plans to bring his fellow DOs to the Earth and take over. Howard and Phil team up to rescue Beverly, who Jenning is going to use to host another Dark Overlord, and using a fusion weapon or something, Ghostbuster equipment, separate Jenning and the Dark overlord, But just when it looks like our planet is about to be overrun with teleporting evil beings, Howard steps up again, destroys the spectroscope, the Dark Overlords, and reunites with his new friends. Now a citizen of planet Earth, Howard starts managing Beverly's band, Cherry Bomb, with Phil uh, running the lights at the rock show. And that's about as straight through a lot of summaries I can give you for this, guys.
2: Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate.
1: Yeah, um, you you glossed over some very important points, I think. But other than that, I
0: think you nailed it. Well, I mean, I think we can get into it as as we walk through it here. But I, the, the opening is the thing, and I, it's one part of the movie. But coming back to it, I was amazed at like the whole noir film thing that we had going. We got the the slow saxophone music and the smoky thing, and he's walking in, and we see this duck, and he's surrounded by all this pop culture iconography that's pretty much like everything someone in 1986 would think is cool but with a duck in it.
2: Yeah, it was it was an entire opening of puns basically. So, we have May Nest, I don't know if you noticed that uh poster in the background. WC uh, Yep. Howard T Duck lives in Washington DC. <laughs> I wrote a few splash dance. There's a splash dance one. Yep. yep. Uh there were it was just it was inundated with stuff like that. I mean the set would be a great job, but it was it was almost a little much. Hopefully that's what they were going for.
1: Yeah. One of the things I know they made a specific point of, especially in the opening, was to cram as many duck puns as you could into the thing to uh, to establish effectively that this is basically earth but with ducks instead of people and then once they've established it they have to beat that duck horse to death
0: yes (laughs) yes and i think we just need to talk about it right now because i dropped it in the plot summary but these are not ducks the way we know them these are humanoid ducks because these ducks have features that normal ducks don't have, particularly the lady ducks. And and they get put on prime display. And I want to remind everybody, this was a PG movie in 1986. In 1986, the MPA had about as much a stick of its ass as it ever would but for anything. And how in the world this is a PG movie escapes me. Because it's not like they're just round shapes. We get full on, like, I'm not sure to be gross, like red nipple, the whole bit. Like, what is up with this?
2: I it's so disturbing like the duck in the bathtub I because you oh. almost don't notice the play duck or whatever the the play on Playboy is Um, but the duck in the shower or in the bath with her little martini glass just randomly singing and then he goes through and she just keeps singing like that's a normal thing I had to rewind it a couple times because I missed like what happened there were so many parts where i was like that doesn't make sense i need to rewind it and see if i missed something and i didn't miss anything it was just a really confusing intro and so i i saw i saw the the duck tits in the bathtub a few times it was disturbing every time
1: (laughs) yeah it was it was weird to open with not one but two sets of duck breasts in the first like five minutes of your movie it was it was absolutely crazy.
2: Duck breasts it, sounds like dinner when you say it. <laughs> it's like, what are you having for dinner? i uh, Call uh, them what you want. I that's an accurate. I'm glad. Which would, would, being very PC about it.
1: Would you prefer honking hooters? Sure. <laughs> or quacking quiveage or. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, yeah, we have so many,
2: whatever you want,
0: (laughs) we have so so many things here. We've got the Duckweiser beer in the fridge. You know, we've talked about play duck and I love his, I wonder who they interviewed this month. And I'm like, yeah, right. And then he totally turns to the centerfold immediately. And you got Howard sitting up in his lazy chair and he starts flipping through. And I love that on duck world in 1986, all that's on late at night is really bad infomercials too. Like that's that's still a constant. Like I just needed the Marty P- 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 Duck or you know uh, Morton Downey Doug Jr. or something. Like that would have been a good pun because that would have been cool at '86.
1: It would have just been Morton Down Jr. Because
0: <laughs> yeah, <it stuck> <laughs> there you go, perfect. Yeah, see, it that writes itself. Different. It writes itself. But I'm glad you said what you said, Lindsay. Like you had to rewind to see what happened. This whole movie is cut and chopped to hell. This movie is ended so badly. We're going to talk about the just random smash cut transitions we get throughout it. But we get right into the action because he feels like he's having another earthquake while he's listening to messages from his mother. Tell me about your new job, Howard. He sounds like, you know, the mother from All in the Family or something. And we see Howard get zapped through his building into this portal gun thing that's going to transfer him from duck world to earth. And the last thing we see of duck world is that it is indeed shaped like an egg itself. And so I, I did give them credit for it. If they wanted to establish this entire world, they did a really good job of it inside of five minutes. The problem is, is we will never see any of that again for the rest of this movie.
1: Well, yeah, that's true. Um, it's funny you you both mentioned that it opens like a film noir because howard the duck at least in the comic books is a detective and kind of a film noir character uh when he's not putting on the iron duck suit and fighting crime which oh. he does in a few crossovers. Oh my. It's basically it's basically <laughs> if you put howard the duck inside the Hulkbuster armor and then like put a giant bill on it. It's pretty great.
0: Oh wow. So that that is amazing and sounds just as horrible as as it sounds. I, I can only imagine. You know, the, the thing is like anamorphic superhero stuff can work because I'll take everybody back to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse if either of you've seen that um oh, yeah. the the Spider-Ham thing like it totally works. Lindsay, recommend you check that out. It's actually a good Spider-Man movie. Just Spider- by him. itself.
1: The Spider-Ham is, is great. Spider-Ham yeah. is from the Howard the Duck universe.
0: Oh, see, that makes sense. Then, yes, that they would they would pal around. That was my next question was, are they friends? Because I could see it.
1: Yep. Uh, Yep. they uh, Essentially, Howard, the duck comes from a universe where instead of people, it's not ducks, but it's anthropomorphized animals. So you have ducks, you have pigs, you have dogs, you have all the 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 traditional trappings, mice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. So Howard the Duck basically comes from the Disney universe if everybody in the Disney universe drank, smoked, and yeah. had unwrapped condoms in their wallet.
0: Yeah, we're going to get to that. Hold on. But but we've got to fly Howard to good old Cleveland here uh, because that's where all the good science uh, research is going on in the 80s. At least it's where you can hide all your nuclear testing, I suppose. That was the joke. But we land him outside in the alleyway. Where he's gotta fend off all manner of, you know, Batman eighty nine esque villains in, in the alley. Like this guy he's gotta he's gotta fight, he's gotta run, he eventually hides in a trash can like Oscar the Grouch. This poor guy's had a rough night.
2: Yeah, I mean I think they do a good job with kind of I as good of a job as it, it, you know, as far as the movie goes, they did a good job like making him seem so out, out of place and kind of scared, but also striking the balance of this is a ridiculous movie. So he's just kind of like, I think he says, What a day, or something like that. <laughs> just like, Yeah, yep. And when I watched it, I assumed because he lived in Washington, D.C., that he'd landed in Washington, D.C. But I didn't see any of the familiar surroundings and it took me a minute to figure out what city they were in. So I'm glad they mentioned it or I never would have figured it Mm -hmm. out because I think I've been to Cincinnati once and it's fairly not memorable. So, I mean, I was in high school to be fair. So, if anyone listening yeah. from Cincinnati is on here, apologies. I've only been there once.
0: If you're not fans of Cincinnati, just imagine going to Cleveland. It's, it's even sadder. <laughs> so, no, I'm with. Look, I don't. I have no you know love for I mean. Cincinnati. I have no love for Cincinnati either. I grew up an Oilers fan, so to hell with the Bengals and the Browns have never been anything, and neither is Cleveland. So, I, I am not a Cleveland fan, uh, in spite of my love of Major League.
1: Hey, at least in Cleveland, the lake caught fire.
0: This is true. Yeah. This is true. Yeah, there are a lot of mistakes by that lake. Yeah, quite a few. So, uh, But one is not the band that is playing at the local dive bar here. Uh, I wrote down in my notes that when we meet Cherry Bomb, I got this whole Jim and the Holograms thing kind of going off of them with what Leah Thompson was doing. And I have a question for either of you. Is, is that Leah Thompson actually singing this Thomas Dolby music or is he that overdose? That's her. Okay. Yes. Props then, because I didn't know she could sing and she mm-hmm. actually does a pretty good job of what would be 1986 female pop rock.
2: Yeah. That was one of the first things I Googled when I was watching the movie is if that was really her. And it was, it was indeed.
1: Yeah. And, and she, like you said, she does a really good job of actually singing the tunes. And uh, I know Lindsay agrees with me, but um Jay may or may not, I thought the, the, the original music that Cherry Brown performed was great, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I
2: really, I, I do agree with you, Ron. I really liked it a lot. Jay, you didn't. Ah.
0: I I agree with Beverly when they're playing that battle later that that's really depressing and they need to not do that and that, I'm gonna say now the Howard the Duck song is horrible but Hunger City's a catchy tune like I'm gonna put that out there Hunger City sounds like it could have been done by Vixen and I would have been totally in for that <laughs>
1: wow uh I, I we we'll have to agree to disagree on the Howard the Duck theme song because that theme song slaps as the kids say. <laughs>
0: We'll get into that when we get there. We got a long way before we get to that one. But we, we get everything established here. Beverly and her band are doing their thing. And she's heading out for the night in a completely different outfit than what she gigged in, because that's what all struggling rock stars are able to do. And we immediately have to see her assaulted in the alleyway. And I have a question about the. I don't, just the confluence of circumstances, because it's also that she can meet Howard and that he can do his quack food and all this kind of stuff for her. But she plays this club all the time. She would know like where to walk and where not to walk. Right. It's just rather convenient that this is the night that we're going to do the assault of the girl in the
2: in the parking lot. Yeah. I mean, suspension of disbelief there, but I thought that too, like you live in the city, you've lived in the city for a little while I would think and she knows she lives in a bad part of town. I would think she would know if like she felt unsafe or this was an issue that she'd at least have pepper spray or something on her, but it didn't seem like she was fully prepared to get mugged in an alley.
1: Oh, well I mean sometimes stuff just happens. I mean, I haven't I didn't leave my house for 2 weeks until Monday when I go for a walk in the cemetery and when I'm on my way back home, uh, the first thing I do is run into a a guy strung out on on uh, heroin, who uh, proceeds to follow me the block and a half to my house, trying to talk to me and definitely not obeying proper social distancing rules. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I live in a fairly safe—I uh, live in a fairly safe neighborhood, but I live in a very active neighborhood where basically you get a lot of panhandlers and weirdos, and it's a—you know—there's a pizza place that sells drugs across the street from my house um, that keeps the keeps their drug use quiet. Uh, To be fair to them. But you know, sometimes people just show up and accost you in places where normally you are not used to being accosted. So
0: Uh, that's not
1: such a stretch to me because I I live in in the center of the city.
0: And so this is fair. I have not lived in large cities very much at all. This is like two years of living in a place the size of where I live now. I've always lived in small towns, so it's different for me. Ron, your story, though, transported me. I felt like I was reading the beginning of a Faulkner chapter. Because that sets up very much like one. And so I was came out of my house after two weeks and bumped into a junkie who walked alongside of me next to the pizza place that was. It's just you know, I was going there. You transported me out of this bad movie and into something much more interesting. Uh, this I like, this...
1: Like Walter, I love a good complex sentence.
0: Indeed, indeed. So don't we all? I mean, the semicolon is our friend. But uh, okay, so we we haven't talked much about it. The puppetry work on Howard. I, I'll give this movie a compliment for what it was in 1986. I mean, clearly it's a little, it's a person in a suit and all that kind of stuff. But when they're moving him around and articulating him and everything, it's pretty good. They did a really good job of matching up the voice work with it and stuff. I was impressed with at least the, the artistry there. Well, here, here's the thing.
1: Here's the most impressive thing about that. So they started out with one Howard and then, and then as they filmed the movie industrial light magic, who did the special effects continued to work on Howard to give him more articulation, to give him eyebrows. I mean, the thing where later in the movie, when he's uh, having sexual chemistry with Leah Thompson and his feathers stand up on his head, that took them like three months to figure out how to do. So the one thing you could say about this movie is they worked very hard to make Howard the Duck m- look facially as realistic as possible. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. You pointed out how well they matched the mouth movement to the voice. They didn't cast Chip Zine until after the movie had been finished filming. Uh so my understanding is his dialogue was completely ADR'd.
0: Yeah. I think so, too. Like they had, I've, I've heard multiple stories about who was reading it off to the side uh, or if the, the actor in the suit was trying to read it to Leah Thompson and she was just reacting to it. They did a really good job of meshing all that together. That's not an easy feat now, especially in 1986. That was not an easy thing to do. So props to them for that. They figured that part out. And I just find it humorous. It took them three months to figure out duck hoarding this. Uh, On on feathers, but you know, I mean, sure, if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. It it works.
1: Yeah, they they worked incredibly hard on this movie, uh, for a movie that's not, you know, not uh, infamously bad, so to speak. But it, I I think, it definitely has, you know, uh, there's definitely some appeal there, and it's funny because. Instead of Leah Thompson for this movie, we could have very easily had Tori Amos.
0: That would have been such a darker, different place, at least from what I know of mm-hmm. Tori Amos. Not as an actress, maybe, but I just can't imagine that at all. Wow. Maybe maybe like Cindy Lopper or something. That would have probably been too much, but what like,
1: about what about Phoebe Cates? She was another one who auditioned for.
0: I could kind of see that if if you want Beverly to be kind of deer in the headlights the whole movie or something because <laughs> Lena thompson like say what you will about her she has character and charisma and she has a presence in anything she does and she's really good at playing people who come off like they're airheads but they're really not i don't know if it's her voice or what she does but there's something about the way she does all these characters that especially in the 80s where she comes off like she's dumb actually the smartest person in the room
2: she really commits to, like, is, I mean, all of her acting choices. Like, I was thinking about that this morning in the, um, I don't know, what do you want to call it, the makeout scene or whatever yeah, it was? I think we're there now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she, I mean, she fully commits. Like, you could tell she was kind of joking, but you didn't really know. So she was doing a really good job joking. She was fully committed. And then in other scenes, like, She was playing like the comedic angle and her comedic timing is really good, but she really commits to a lot of her choices. So I appreciate that. Also, side note, I have talked to a number of people about this movie and a lot of guys who have seen it and some women have said, like, this is the movie where I fell in love with Leah Thompson.
0: I I can see that for sure, that this would be the one where you caught her. I had actually seen her already in Red Dawn at this point. I got to see that a lot younger than probably I should have. But I remembered her from that. And then for some reason, probably because they weren't paying attention, I saw all the right moves. And so, you know, that was really where I fell in love with Leah Thompson. I said, no kidding. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I think I saw that after hour the duck though. And look, let's be honest, y'all. Like the first third of this movie is a totally different movie than the back two thirds in so many different ways. But it starts off with all this noir punny humor. There's a lot of sexual innuendo and the just outright sex stuff. There's there's an incredible amount of violence. There's not a lot of cursing yet or anything, but you can see that it probably was there. Maybe they cut around it. And then you have this scene where Leah Thompson seduces the duck. And she does so by stripping down to, like, the skimpiest thing you could possibly get away with in a PG movie, I want to say. She had just
2: gotten out of the shower. She was getting ready for bed or something, to be fair. She didn't, like, strip down. She had a robe on.
0: She took the she robe took off seductively and said, get over, over here, ducky. I mean... <laughs> That's I, whether she was playing with him or not. That was, I mean, that, again, that just went into places. I didn't know we were going to go. And do I misremember this? Was there not a lot more making out? Like, it seems like just a peck on the bill. And then all of a sudden here comes everybody else.
2: I saw that. I thought that too. So when that scene popped up, I was like, Oh man, here it comes. Cause I thought I remembered there being more shadow work behind that screen. And I guess there wasn't, because I, I I tried to use the interwebs to figure that out. Like, was this scene cut? Am I crazy? Maybe it's just because it's been 10 or 11 years since I've seen it. And so I remember it being a much bigger deal than it was, but I was expecting more.
1: Yeah, I was expecting more, too. I think uh, I even texted about it thinking, I thought there was a lot more action yeah. uh, between... Beverly and Howard. Uh, uh, granted, I'm I'm am slightly relieved that there wasn't more action between the two of them. Yes, <laughs> because you know Disney's Robin Hood was bad enough to kickstart a generation of furries. I guarantee you, Howard the Duck has kickstarted <laughs> another generation of weirdos.
0: Oh, you know, there's like a whole channel dedicated to it somewhere on the dark side yeah, of the I'm sure internet. there's
1: like plenty of Rule <laughs> Forty Three or whatever it is talking about Howard's corkscrew. So it's something.
0: Yeah, there's, there's got to be some of that. But we got to talk about like Beverly meeting him and stuff. And you already dropped it. She's pulling out, like, the first night she meets him, he just falls asleep on the windowsill and she's going through his wallet because that's just what you do to people you randomly meet. And, you know, his family picture, driver's license, his Mallard card. And then he's got an unwrapped condom in his wallet. <laughs> and I just, I'm, I, I, my only thought was like somebody in the production design said, nobody's going to know what that is if we leave it in the wrapper. And I'm like, why would you? Ta- would you have to take it out because it's a kids' movie?
1: I think that they just couldn't figure out a good duck pun for like Trojan.
0: <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, you must be right because I I don't know. I just remember looking at that, and I do. I, I was trying to think back. Did I ask any questions about what that was, or did I already know what that was when I was 10? I can't remember, honestly, y'all. But I just can think now that I'm like, that probably inspired a lot of very uncomfortable conversations of the ride home for a lot of families. (laughs) And somewhere in the back of my head, I keep reminding myself, this is a kid's movie, and it's PG, and we've got duck condoms. In the first twenty minutes.
2: What was that thing she pulled out of his wallet? It was a balloon. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, he carries balloons. He's a clown. Or maybe, something. maybe they
1: didn't want to go like with the obvious and have like a, like a corn flavored condom or something. <laughs> I don't know what ducks
2: eat. Come on. Anna. <laughs> I don't know what ducks eat either.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I'm sure a like, bread. I don't know white bread, right. Wonder <laughs> Bread flavor. But all that happens, though, we should not say all this happens and leads up to the seduction. After they have like a huge fight and blow up because she takes him to her dumb friend Phil Tim Robbins, who at this point wasn't anything. He had been in Top Gun in two scenes, uh, which is always the most amazing thing that a guy that tall would ever be a wizzo in the Navy. But sure, so he he's now playing the lab assistant post grad. Post-grad, science person, but he's her science expert. You get a sense that like they're buddies. He's definitely sweet on her. She's like, whatever. But she brings Howard to him, and of course, he has to try to run all these wacky experiments, does the terrible Donald Duck impersonation. And all I can wonder is Howard looks so much like Donald anyway. How did Disney not sue the hell out of them for that?
1: Disney actually sued them when it was a comic book because Howard, when he first appeared, like Donald Duck and and like you know, like most cartoon animals, Porky Pig, etc., was not wearing pants. So Disney said, all right, he looks too much like Donald Duck. We're going to sue you. So they're like, if we put pants on him, will you go away? And Disney said yes. So not only did they start putting Howard in pants, they made it a storyline in the comic that a fake Walt Disney who led some sort of parents group, uh, some sort of parent censorship group, led a protest against Howard's constant pantslessness. And in the comic book, the protest is what made him start wearing pants.
0: (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) I mean, in this movie, he's always at least in his cherry boxer shorts at, at some time or another, and then he's wearing his duck pants. And I think he says he robs the kitty aisle at the Goodwill uh, for, you know, kind of a wild outfit that he, he dons for most of the rest of the flick.
1: Well, they no, already well, spent like three months trying to get Howard's hair to stand up on end. You didn't want them to try to make that anatomically correct.
0: <laughs> no, we didn't, <laughs> need to, we didn't
1: need to go there.
2: <laughs> well, I did have that question. Where is he getting his clothes? Because he has a number of different outfits in the movie. It, he does have that comical kitty outfit from the kitty section at the Goodwill. But then he's got a full suit. He has pajamas with a hole cut in them for his little duck tail. Where is she getting this?
0: I assume Beverly, with all that rock star green she's got, in that sweet pad that she lives in. I mean, that was an awesome apartment I for a struggling like rock singer. Like, yeah, yeah. A it's a good loft. I mean, it may have been in the bad part of town, but she's got a ton of square footage, so mm-hmm. can't beat that. And she's got great. I mean, she's got like the full 1986, like that keyboard setup and that synthesizer and the sampler and everything up there. That's like forty thousand dollars of recording equipment. That's pretty awesome. I mean, so and I mean the uh, guitar, and, the guitar that she plays throughout the movie's a Les Paul. Yeah. But
2: is it really? I didn't even notice that.
1: She's put her money into the right things.
0: Yeah. I mean, her stuff is good. The band's stuff, their gear is good. And I kind of got the sense that they were like one of those developmental bands. So like they weren't getting, they were getting paid a ton of money. They were getting fed something by the record company or whatever sleazebag they were working for to try to get this thing together because he's stringing them along. And they have this huge blow-up and fight after the whole Phil incident. And then they go their separate ways. He winds up back in the club again, um, you know, kind of soaking his wounds and beats the hell out of her sleazy manager um, in a great bar scene fight. uh, If you want to call it that, if you watch a three foot duck beat the crap out of a six foot dude Um, and he gets their money back and kind of makes back up with Bev. But the thing I want to talk about you, it's just random cuts. I felt like there must've been another scene somewhere where, they made up or talked because the second she sees him in the post show, she's like happy to see him. But the last time she saw him, she told you to go flip off basically. So it's very strange.
1: I mean, if I had told all of my friends and bandmates that I met a three foot tall duck who carried an unwrapped rubber in his wallet, they would th- throw me in the nut house before I finished my <laughs> sentence. She's probably just relieved that, hey, look, he's real. See, you all see him too. I'm not crazy.
2: Well, not only that, but she was basically, she took in an alien and then they had a fight and he left. And she was probably a little worried that, you know, he got into the wrong hands.
0: (laughs) That's a good (laughs) way of putting it, Lindsay. I did adopt an alien (laughs) for a little while. But that's when she takes him back home, has the makeout scene with him. And that's when the movie starts. I said, like, this movie hems and haws around for the first act. And. Then Phil brings in Dr. Jennings, Jeffrey Jones, coming in to chew the scenery up once again, uh, just like in Beetlejuice, Ron. you know, He comes in, and we have to feel uncomfortable all over again because he's so good at it, but he's such a creep in real life. And you've got all the scientists. And what I love about these scientists, that unlike the general scientists that are like, we must take it and pull it apart and test it to death, they're legitimately like, hey, we screwed up and accidentally brought you here, but we're pretty sure we can just send you right back. And I, I was blown away that they were like, yeah let's just mail the alien back we don't need it well
1: what's a bigger deal chopping up one alien and figuring out he's made of the same duck meat as the ducks on earth or establishing a line of trade with a completely different civilization
0: we're gonna have great trade with the duck world it's gonna be the greatest trade
1: (laughs) gonna make beautiful trade deals with the duck
0: world (laughs) I like to play duck myself I read it for the articles don't be
2: weird Open borders with Marshall D.C. <laughs> I mean,
0: why not? I used to say, I mean, men in black thought us half the people in Congress are aliens anyway. Why not? That's, I mean, that's a good point. Drug, road, drug dealers and serial killers over the <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take all of our fat, We're going to laser mail them over there. <laughs> so we can we can see this all right but you, you make a good point that is his point is like hey we could just we can keep an open line with y'all and my amazing part of that is that the scientist is like we screwed up but we actually found something so let's run with it and having worked around a lot of science intensive universities and stuff for a number of years that's exactly how they would go you just lean into the mistake
2: we meant to do that
0: yeah
1: which i mean you know I don't, who knows how many of our like huge discoveries were people trying to figure out different things and failing. I mean, who knows how much stuff was discovered because people thought you could turn lead into gold.
0: Well, then who was trying to figure, what were they trying to figure out when they made this movie? That's what I'm trying to get at because there was, there was like a, there was an inspiration, but they went completely different from that. Cause I, I didn't know it was a comic book after doing research for this movie. And it's apparently he's much harsher in the comic. Then they they made him in the movie. They tried to soften him up, even though he is kind of you know still pretty sharp in, in a lot of this. So I'm I just trying to figure out what this is, because it went from being this noir kind of, I don't know, Porky's thing with the duck in the first act to now it's let's get E.T. home in the second act here. Uh, we, we were going to go back and do the laser spectroscope business.
2: I have no idea what they were trying to do. I <laughs> guess I guess kill aliens. <laughs>
0: I mean
1: Superman
2: if, was probably around or wait, Superman's DC. Sorry for mixing up my comics.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> if if I had to guess what they were trying to do, George Lucas saw E.T. and was like,
0: hey, I could do that. It's a terrible George Lucas. <laughs> but you know, it's probably pretty accurate. But he's got some of his buddy Steven stuff in there, the Indiana Jones stuff and everything. So I mean, I'm sure Steven stand up to the side like he always was like, Yeah, George, do it. Sounds great. Yeah. You know, so hey, they, Stephen, they just,
1: we're gonna have a joke at your expense in our movie.
0: As long as it's unwrapped. Oh, not that joke. So, so, I love Howard the
1: Duck. I don't know why I keep doing this voice.
0: Yeah, George Lucas gets a lot of blame for this, but let's be fair to old George. Lucasfilm Limited was distributing this. They put their special effects wing behind it. But there was a creative element. Yes, there are people that are close to him. But there were other people that were doing this, that were in charge of this. You know, Willard Hewitt and, and Gloria Katz had worked with, with Lucas on stuff. But this was kind of their baby in a lot of ways. So George Lucas gets thrown in with, like, the blame for this movie in a lot of ways. But I don't really think that's fair. George didn't have that much to do with it, I don't think. I mean, other than just signing off on of the checks that it took to make the feathers stand up and all that. Because <laughs> that's what he was doing at the time. I mean, that's what his job was for, you know, 15 years until it was time to do Phantom Menace. So very strange stuff. We go down to the, the laser spectroscope company or whatever it is. That's what I was going to ask. Is this a government outfit or is it a company? Because I thought they dropped a line with a name, but I never caught what it was.
1: It is Dynatech, I think, or Dynacorp. Yeah, they're definitely not the government. They're definitely a for-profit company.
2: They're probably a government contractor.
1: Yeah, so I guess this is like if DuPont accidentally created the Toxic Avenger or something.
2: Totally work.
0: Yeah, that would totally work. I could see that. Yeah, completely. But they try to fire the thing again, and obviously Doctor Strangelove, Doctor Jenning or whatever, is completely inept in doing any of his job. <laughs> like he can build great things, but when it turns time to turn the key, it's it's going to go bad, and we're going to blow things all to hell. And that's when we introduce the Dark Overlords of the universe. And I got to say, look, I, I love the Runaways. Cherry Bomb's kind of lame name. Dark Overlords of the universe was the way to go. They should they should have stuck with that.
1: It's too long, and it sounds more like it should be a, either a like a Norwegian black metal, like a Norwegian <laughs> black metal band, or some sort of like post emo, like Texas is the reason, uh, you know that kind of band,
0: Bowling Pursuits, <laughs> along those lines, maybe. I don't know
1: though. Dark.
0: if you're you're all if you're an all-female band though and you call yourself the dark overlords of the universe and you play pop music that's like gold like you you're completely defying all kinds of stereotypes
1: but are they really trying to be a pop band or does it just become a pop band because pop becomes what they're playing because to me it sounded like they were trying to be like a new wave like a later stage new wave band mm-hmm. which I guess was pop also pop radio at the time. But I wouldn't necessarily call it pop either because we're literally like Whitney Houston is happening right now and Janet Jackson is happening right now. And that that to me is more they, traditionally pop than like what they're trying to do.
0: They were like the Bangles and um oh what's the uh the... Yeah, yeah, Bananarama and and then Vixen that I dropped earlier they were kind of the bridge of those groups is what I saw but with Heart. more keyboards. Heart, this, thank you. But when yeah. Heart was doing its keyboard and Aquanet phase, that's yeah. what this. Yeah, was. yeah, yeah, that works. This was like right before all I want to do is make love to you, Heart, but like in that other Heart era when mm-hmm. they were Howard Shore was doing all his work and stuff. So yeah, I could I could buy that because that's Dolby and Shore. They're kind of the same thing. I don't know. I just I, the Dark Overlords of the Universe. It's such a just an interesting phrase. It is too long, but that's but the way that they just keep saying it over and over led me to believe that like the actors had to really work on that line to get that out. Because it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. Lindsay, you're the actor, so that doesn't exactly roll off.
2: Dark Overlords of the Universe. They really had to enunciate. I'm sure they did vocal warm-ups before all of those scenes. They were probably take twelves. <laughs> but now yeah. you have
1: to but now you have to to gotta roll it out like Jeffrey Jones does. Except I think they digitally altered his voice as he got progressively more and more monsterized.
2: I was yeah. wondering about that. His voice was really good, though, as he got more zombied out or whatever well, it is. Yeah,
1: That's because the guy who did the voice effects for this is none other than the guy who does the voice for BB-8 and R2-D2 and WALL-E, Ben Burke.
0: Oh, yeah, a genius it's sound awesome. designer, yeah. like behind all the cool star Wars sounds that you've ever known yeah, that, he
1: put all yeah. the he's the one who who put all the effects behind uh, Jeffrey Jones's
0: voice. I can see that. I got to say though, Jeffrey Jones does a good job when he becomes electrified Beetlejuice or whatever he's supposed to be like really here, like the hair and all the, I mean, they make him real sweaty and gaunt and all this stuff. And he's possessed. And all I could think was when they did make men in black many years later and Vincent D'Onofrio had to play Edgar that he was borrowing from this.
2: Yep. There was, there was that one moment too, where he was like, you know, does the crazy voice or whatever. And he goes, I'm now someone else. And then Bev goes, I think you need some coffee. (laughs) And (laughs) I was like, oh, we've been there. I am someone else before I have coffee. And even then I did like their dynamic a lot. Howard, the duck and Bev um, and the, what was his name? The scientist's name? Um, Yes. And Jenning um, where he was like, this really crazy dark overlord and Bev and Howard were just like, eh, (laughs)
1: It's fine. I mean, mean, when you've flown across the galaxy in a tube of light and or met a three foot tall duck alien, is meeting a dark overlord of the universe who looks like a sweaty pedophile that big of a deal?
2: Yeah, probably not.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think in Bev's week, that's probably the third weirdest thing that happened. Like, honestly, like that's, you know, she met an alien. She made out with the alien and she got a better record deal. Like, you know, he would be fourth at this point.
2: It's not even in the top three
0: yeah
1: i mean for the first like one third of the time when he's beginning to transform into the monster it just looks like he did a bunch of coke and i'm sure she'd been around (laughs) those guys quite a bit
0: yeah right yeah (laughs) yeah and when he he blows up the whole truck stop diner thing with all of his lightning force powers and stuff like that You you mean joe roma's cajun sushi is that what
1: that is okay wow it's that sounds like sushi, and they're all dressed in country
0: western outfits. That does sound like a place I've seen uh, in the state that I'm from. So yes, um, I could totally believe that. So with yeah, the that-
2: weren't they wearing like the Karate Kid headband things too? No. Yes, Japanese. Yeah. yeah, like head wraps. Yeah,
0: yeah. The waitress hat on Danielson's. Uh, yep. Wrap. Uh, yeah, you're right. So and I love that when she's giving the interview to the news. I just had this flash like I'm talking to a duck, right? You know. So. <laughs> Um, She was on Coke. There's no doubt
1: about that. So can we talk about, since we're talking about the diner scene, can we talk about why everyone wants to eat Howard?
0: Yes. What is up with, I mean, I guess it's just the redneck see a big duck must eat. Is that it?
2: Well, it's also duck hunting season.
0: How many
1: people are duck hunting in Cleveland
2: I don't know. It looked like a lot because when they announced duck hunting season on the TV, like storefront, there were at least three gun gun-toting you know. Yeah, hunters there's a there's a
0: convention right there. in town that they fly through in the little ultralight later gotta on. Be. They, yeah, sure. they fly through a site. I'm like, there's duck hunting in Cleveland. Who knew? So, I mean, I I never thought of it either. But they have a lake, you
1: know. Yeah, and I guess if you go outside like the Cleveland city limits, there would be. Surely, there's somewhere that's not an urban hillscape.
0: Do you know what we needed? We needed Randy Newman to write a song for this scene. That's what we needed. We needed Randy Newman to talk about all the duck hunters in the Cleveland try to come kill my buddy Howard, but the dark overlord to the rescue. That's my that's my Randy Newman y'all. That's Jay all I got, Skipworth, so. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's all I got. But, I mean, we could have had it. I mean, that would have worked at at this point. But he does destroy that complete diner. Then he he kidnaps Bev and takes off in the the tractor trailer. And that's when we get the really gross effects. And I did remember that about this movie, that there was some real grotesque, like, slimy tongue tentacle tentacle things. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, that he sticks in, like, the cigarette lighter port to get more power, but the car keeps running amazingly.
1: Well, he's he's not drawing all of it. He's just drawing the two volts or whatever. It's just tr- it's just a trickle charge to keep him going.
2: <laughs> just a bump, just a little oh. one.
0: He needs a little something to get by, yeah. right? Before he's he's got to go take Beverly. And I love how he tells her what he was to He's like, "I need a human host for the Dark Overlords." And I'm like, y- "If you're the Dark Overlords, why do you need a human host?"
2: I also, too, this made me laugh is when they get to wherever they're going and she's fully passed out in the semi. And I was mm. like, you're sitting next to a dark overl- overlord. But again, we've talked about it. This is the fourth most exciting thing that's happened to her this week. Um, and she just like passes out. I don't, I think I would do just about everything to not fall asleep next to a crazy person. But nope, she's totally comfortable with it.
1: Maybe she's already burnt out all of those like nerve endings in her, her nervous system. Maybe she's just Maybe. reached that point of like, you know, I'm exhausted and I either need a jolt of adrenaline, like I'm in crank, or I'm just gonna pump, pass out. And you know, <laughs> so she couldn't find any like stimulants. I'm out.
0: I'm going to blame this movie though, again, for not knowing what it wants to be because it went from being this noir sex romp thing to this kids movie to now it's a freaking cartoon at the end. And like a lot of cartoons, we take our female character and we just tie her on the railroad tracks and leave her to the side. When like we've established her to be somebody who kind of takes charge and knows what she's doing, knows what she wants and stuff. And I hate the fact that they just stick Bev in the corner, you know, that she needed Johnny to come and say, nobody puts Bev in the corner.
2: <laughs>
1: no, you're you're right. And and the only reason I think they the only reason I could think of that they would have had to have done that was because the guy in the Howard suit, um Gale, I believe his name is. Yeah, what one of
0: them, yeah, the main one, Ed Gale. Well, yeah, he's
1: the main one. The other guys are puppeteers. So Ed Gale's the body, and he's running around and he's completely blind inside that suit unless Howard's mouth is open.
0: Oh, that's a good point. I had thought about that. So yeah.
1: So he's literally like, essentially he's like it's a it's dance choreography for these action scenes, and he's just gotta hope he doesn't run over a, a boom mic operator or a camera guy or the best boy, and he's driving that car around.
0: Okay, before we even get to the cart, though, we got to talk about the ultralight scenes with him and Tim Robbins flying that thing around. I, I will say that looked really, really good. Like you, They did good enough faraway shots that you couldn't tell it was a taller person in the duck suit flying with Tim Robbins' stunt double, too. And then the insert close-ups, like you couldn't tell that was all you know, rear projection in the background. They did a good job batting that together. For 1986, that was well done.
2: I agree with you. Uh, I still think it would have been more efficient to steal a cop car. But as far as the scene runners go, it looked great.
1: But if you steal a cop car, you don't get that line. If, if God had wanted us to fly, he wouldn't have taken away our wings.
2: That's true. That it's is true. A valid
0: point. That Which is cool. another thing that brings up interesting things. Even in alternate universes, the same God exists. That's that's neat that they, they laid that out or that. Uh, Howard would at least be aware of it in some way. So, but no, we yeah. get a good, we get the good flight scenes. I, the one part of that I've always remembered is the part where he's trying to uh, Tim Robbins is trying to plug the gas line back in to make the <laughs> connection. Yeah. I actually got in a situation once where I wasn't in a flying material, but I had to try and do that and keep the gas from leaking on the, like the go kart engine I was working on or whatever. And I've yeah. always remembered that from this movie, and now I know what it was from. I was like, I know I saw that in a movie when I was a kid, and then I had to do it as a teenager. And I thought, oh, it was Howard the Duck.
2: I have never uh, been in that situation. What I can say is that, and again, back to the way the scene was filmed and put together was very good. They do that loop-de-loop in the plane. And all I could think in that moment was that is my nightmare. (laughs) I could never, Mm -hmm. I'm not scared of heights. I'm fine with roller coasters doing a barrel roll or a loop-de-loop in a plane or anything like that it's terrifying to me, especially an open little flying machine like that. Um, but they uh, they. oh, and he's still in handcuffs the whole time. And I didn't realize that till they were back on the ground. So he's trying to put the gas back together and he's still in handcuffs.
0: Yeah, Tim Robbins performs a lot of good uh, functions while he's still cuffed together in, yeah, in that flying scene.
2: Dexterity. Yeah.
1: Maybe it was his thing and he just had
0: gotten used to the <laughs> goes. They could, you know. Phil did look rather comfortable in the back seat of that cop car. Like again, <laughs> gotta call right. mom again, you know, or something. Tim <laughs> Robbins can't play. This was the part of his career again when nobody knew what he could do as an actor, and he just kept doing these little weird quirky roles. And I, I thought he was given it everything he had with what he was given to do. He's not given a lot to do because we'll laser gun, nail him and Beverly to the wall. Superman three style here at the end. Uh, because again, I think you're right. We we don't want Howard running over more people. The poor actor when he's got the golf cart going uh, to uh, take out the, the Dark Overlord. I think he has a showdown with Jenning first, right? Like Jennings is fully powered up now. He's got the code keys, getting ready to fire up the the spectroscope. Is almost in range to fire the Death Star or what the hell ever. And then they have a complete and total electric light show showdown here in the in the, the power plant. It's called an electric boogaloo, Jay. <laughs> True. Yes. Uh, and, and much like that, when we have a grand explosion that costs way more than it should have. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. And w- what I love is that Jennings, when he, when he comes to, is like, wait a minute, you separated me from the Dark Overlord. Then, the, then where's the Dark Overlord in true Scooby Doo style? Here comes what I can only describe as. Uh, like some crab people lobster monster thing from under the ground that was also like an extra in Clash of the Titans. The My old one, not the new one.
2: The note I literally wrote down was the demon is a crab thing. <laughs> also, why do all demons look like vaginas with teeth?
0: Th- that one, uh, you've got uh, the uh, several of the alien monsters through the years have all done it. Um, <laughs> There's... Yeah. Yes, yes. The the predator mandibles, the little weasels, and dreamcatcher. If you've ever seen that, that's nothing but a crawling dentata. So and everything. So uh, even uh, yeah,
1: like, even like the critter from
0: it. Kind of it made me think
1: of the critter from Terror Vision. Yeah, yeah. It was a little bit yeah. of that. Yeah, there like was some of that. Like if they had money to to spend on the creature.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, but but it's. Uh, for a movie that, again, a lot of it has aged okay. Like, it still sort of works for what it is because it's the good practical effects and stuff. This does not look good. Like, we have to admit, like, it, this didn't look good in 1986 either. It it doesn't look well, and it doesn't hold up good, these final fights with the dark overwards. Yeah. It,
1: and and I'm, I'm a person who likes a good stop-motion effect, but it, it, it's if you're going to spend all this money and and clearly spend the cost to make the puppet creature you really need to get Ray Harryhausen to show up and do it. So it looks right. This one just moves. I don't know. It moves slightly too fast. I think they sped the film up just a little bit too much or something to, to hide the, the motion of the animation, I guess that, I mean, maybe it was a thing where they couldn't get both the stop motion suit and Howard's puppet to like, look right at the same frame rate. So they aired on the side of Howard.
0: I mean, I can only imagine the computers that this melted down trying to render anyway in 1986. Like how long that took for that those few shots to even come out is amazing. Uh, Just
1: big to- piles of like, Burning
0: Commodore 64s. real to real tapes just spinning like war games in the background or something. Just a, just like a puddle of Apple twos. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, probably and probably a puddle of people trying to keep them cooled off, fanning them with the uh, you know tears of. Uh, <laughs> sadness over this film trying to be finished but we we get this thing and the, the one thing i'll say they do this cheese ending where you think howard has given his life for his friends and then he he does the little straight undertaker setup um and uh, pre-undertaker by the way it, and it, it,
1: look, jay at this point it's the Voorhees he set up
0: <laughs> it is the Voorhees setup. set up you are correct the he's the Voorhees he set up and he is no longer howard he is the dark overlord
2: I mean, that's what makes it a kid's movie. The lead character doesn't die.
0: Right, it can't, right? Because it's supposed to be a cartoon at yeah. the end. Like I say, that's the problem with this movie is it's three different things at the same time. Yeah. And then look at this rocking ending. Okay, so you two have been putting over that you love the theme song. The floor is yours. Please <laughs> tell me why I'm wrong.
2: I don't know. It's so catchy. <laughs> it's It's got everything. It's got the title of the movie in it. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I've got nothing. I just like it. I mean, I like how Leah Thompson sings.
1: There's a duck in a suit and he plays an electric guitar like, like Marty McFly. Yep. And he even does like the Chuck Berry duck walk, which is, you know, because duck.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. One more duck pun. We have to get he plays with his bill like Eddie Van Halen. What's not to
1: like about a rock and finale where everyone hangs out and like plays electric guitar?
0: Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm fine with hang out and let's rock out. I just have a problem with a song uh, with the title of the character who is now let's let it, the Beatles don't get out there and sing odes to George Martin. Like that's that was the problem I had is I just didn't get it. I, I don't know.
1: Well, he's not supposed to be on the stage. He ends up on stage uh, like much of the rest of his life. He ends up on stage as a result of an accident.
0: It was very March Brothers, by the way, Ron. I I thought of it you was. when I saw that. That was that was a that was a good March Brothers thing. You have introduced that into my life. I see that in every movie now, and I realize how many people have just ripped those guys off <laughs> through I the mean, years.
1: Like a, I mean, yep. let's let's when I, when Howard starts to play the guitar, he's like a taller Angus Young. It's pretty great.
0: <laughs> he just needed to strip. If he had done the strip tease like Angie showing then I probably would have gone for it because then this movie would have closed the yeah. way it opened and that would have worked with
1: duck so. Nipples, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just needed him in a sweaty duck schoolboy outfit and then we would have been okay. Like if only Thunderstruck had been around then, Howard could have played that and that would have worked. So, <laughs> but yeah, but you know, I, I remember a time in the 80s though when movies would end like this especially movies where there's like music involved and it always ends at the last gig. And like the credits are rolling while you're blowing out the stage and stuff like that. So that did take me back to a different time.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was fun. I like, you know, they had their little choreographed kick moves when they sang and.
1: Yeah. They do a whole like routine together.
2: Yeah. All of the other actresses in the band are actually singing too by the way. Since we've discussed that Leah Thompson is actually singing, the mm-hmm. other actresses were cast because they could sing too.
0: Well, yeah. Holly Robinson's one of them, right? Or now, Holly yeah. Robinson Pete, uh, I think, is where she well, goes by? Holly
1: the Robinson then.
0: She's yeah, the that's true.
1: Until she's on hanging with Mr. Cooper.
0: <laughs> oh, I missed that show. That was a great show. Was so, that was a good show. So, well, we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to get final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Howard the Duck? Ron? Jake, tried to like
1: squash on my fun. And admittedly, Howard the Duck is a movie that does have flaws. Uh, I know I'm going to set the Internet on fire by saying Howard the Duck, one of the most notoriously bad movies of all time, has flaws, but it does. But it's also really weird in a very in the sort of way where you can tell that whoever uh, the people who were making the movie like weren't interfered with by George Lucas. He was just like here's $38 million. Make your movie, Willard. And so they got to make the <laughs> beard ass movie that they wanted to make. So to me, this is like if Tommy Wiseau could afford a giant duck and had, <laughs> had an extra $35 million to make his movie and also some degree of technical competence. It, it's I, I, I don't want to say it's so bad it's good, but it's kind of just good to me. I mean, it's weird and a lot of stuff doesn't work, but there's a lot of stuff that actually ends up working in spite of itself. Uh, mostly due to the fact that somehow Leah Thompson has sexual chemistry with a puppet. <laughs> 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 so so in that spirit, I'm going to give Howard the Duck. Uh, I'm going to give Howard the Duck a... I'm going to do a large popcorn. It's a like a dry popcorn, so it's not great popcorn. A little bit burnt, but there's a lot of it. <laughs> like this movie is a little bit weird and, and a little bit strange, but there's a lot of entertainingly weird stuff that happens. So burnt large popcorn.
0: <laughs> Lindsay, go ahead and follow that.
2: <laughs> I love that you added that um, that extra level to your large burnt popcorn because uh, my plan was to give it a medium popcorn with extra butter. It's not quite a large popcorn, but I feel like it's a little better than a medium popcorn. I mean, not by, you know, normal moviegoer standards, but in the sense that it's fun and nostalgic and it's been around for long enough so that You can look at it and laugh at it and say like, oh, yeah, well, technology was different back then. They didn't have what we have now. It probably would have been different now. It probably wouldn't have been made now. So you can look at it and appreciate it for that. Um, So, yeah, medium popcorn, extra butter.
0: I have spent the last hour railing on everything I thought was wrong with this movie. All right. The tonal shifts, the odd non sequiturs, the weird editing, some of the music that didn't exactly land on my ears right. But. And there's always a danger to go back to something that you watched as a child and have to revisit it as an adult and just go like, okay, can can I really give this a shot? But I reminded myself of something that I heard in a different context. It's not really relevant to hear, but I have to remember this movie is not made for me now. It was made for me when I was 10. All right. And I kind of put myself back in that mindset to watch it for this review and I gotta say, 10 year old me probably was pretty darn entertained by this movie for a lot of reasons. I mean, falling in love with Leah Thompson was one of those reasons, sure. Uh, but the music, all the goofy stuff, and now watching it as an adult and watching all the, the weird tonal shifts. Ron, you're exactly right. Nobody gets what in today's time would be $120 million to make the weirdest ass movie you could possibly make. Like nobody gets that kind of money to do, to do that anymore. And for that, and for the, so much of this that still works, I'm not even going to give this a pass. I'm giving this an extra large popcorn, y'all. You need to see this movie you, I'm, for all of its flaws. What? And I'm going to tell you now, you don't need to watch it by yourself. I don't think this movie is meant to be watched by itself. It is meant to be watched throughout a lot of people. You got a little popcorn going, maybe a little other uh, something, whatever. You got your pizza going. When we're all not socially distanced anymore, you can get everybody back together. Throw on some Howard the Duck and realize that your friends here at Filmstrip, one of them gave it an XL. Yes, I have given Stanley Kubrick movies large popcorns and medium popcorns, and I'm giving Howard the Duck an extra large popcorn because I think it is that darn entertaining. (laughs) Because in the end, this movie is wildly goofy. And is zany, and you wouldn't see it anymore today. You couldn't get this movie anymore, and for that, I got to give it the props because there's never been one like it. There's never been another one. And when they threw him in the coda at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, everybody lost their friggin' minds yeah. because well, we might get Howard again, and we probably never will, and you won't get this one. But you got this version of it, and it's definitely worth going back. And talking about and looking at again. So I'm giving it an extra large, guys. I'm giving it the biggest I, pass I can. Now I,
2: remember, I feel like a jerk. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I just said now I feel like a jerk.
1: <laughs> well, I remember when I saw Guardians of the Galaxy in that post credit sequence. People
0: clapped when Howard the Duck showed up. It's like something that you know you want to make fun of. Okay, wrestling. we're all three wrestling fans on here. Everybody wants to talk about how stupid the Ultimate Warrior is. But you know what? Go what? back and watch him. He's awesome. All right?
2: Literally yes. nobody says that.
0: Who oh, yeah. A bunch of bunch that marks that, that, that like, Flippy flying around do. But that dude was a, was a moment. And it's, I feel the same way about Howard the Duck, like I do The Ultimate Warrior. You just got to take it for what it was. It was the most 80s possible thing at the most <laughs> 80s possible time. Yes, and that is this movie. That is yeah. this movie completely. So it's been a blast talking about it with you two. What do y'all got going on? How, do, how can people follow you on the internet?
2: Uh, you can find me on Instagram at lindsayluhu, but that's Lindsay L I N Z underscore L U underscore W H O.
1: And you can find me uh, on Den of Geek. I will uh, have probably just finished up doing Westworld, and I, I don't know what I will be doing next. So uh, it will be as big a surprise to you when you read it as it was to me when I was told to start watching it. So. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And folks, you can find all of our episodes uh, in the podcast archives at filmstrippodcast.com. Got a ton of stuff in the back catalog, gang. Uh, We've dropped a lot of it here. We've done the Alien series. We've done the Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Hellraiser. Uh, We've done Star Wars movies. We've done romantic comedies. We've done serious dramas. We've done musicals. All kinds of stuff back there for you to take a listen to. Well over 200 episodes. And we got a ton more fun ones to come. Um, I mean, we're all recording this right now during our uh, social distancing times and stuff like that. So we all got a little bit more time on our hands than we normally have at home. So we're taking advantage, recording a ton of stuff. That you're getting a lot of extra content for us, and we just want you to consume it, share it with other people, tell folks how they can find the show, follow the show's social media on Twitter and Instagram at Filmstrip Pod, and also search for Filmstrip Podcast on Facebook and connect with us there. We appreciate your support. So for Ron and Lindsay, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip.